Hey there, Crosswinds family and friends. It is a privilege to have you allow me to be a part of uh, this moment in your life for you to be a part of this service. Uh, we are in our series, Family Talk. We started last week, so we're in our, our second week. We're going to look at uh, marriage uh, in this message. Uh, but before we jump into the message, I just want to pray for you. I know that many of you are still home. We got some good news this week that that we're going to be able to head into phase one. But for us in this area, at least, uh, for us that are heading into phase one, realize it still has quite a bit of restrictions. And so we won't be gathering here uh, in the near future. But, but I know that God is working. And so I want to pray for you. And I believe that the prayer that I pray here and now is effective for where you're sitting and participating. And so let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for the privilege of being able to worship you. Thank you for the technology to be able to gather here and, and be able to, to be a part of it here, but also to be able to be a part of it in many, many, many places, small spaces all across this region uh, and literally parts of the world. God, I lift up my church family. I lift up the, the friends who have, who have tuned in. And, and God, I just pray that you continue to be with them. We realize that, that life didn't stop when the stay-at-home orders began. And that not only are we facing COVID-19, but we're also facing all the, the, the many, many things that just come with life. Some of them are difficulties. Some of them are, are, are challenges. And they seem to be magnified in times like this. And yet I'm so thankful that although the difficulties and challenges and, and everything else can seem magnified, but they're not greater than you. But you're greater than our challenges. You're greater than our difficulties. In fact, whether we're sitting here struggling with something emotionally, physically, perhaps financially, but you're greater than those challenges. And that you just call us to trust in you, to come to you and, and place them at your feet and allow you to guide us, not just through them, but guide us to victory, however that looks for your kingdom. And so, Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ. I pray for those who are, who are joining with us in this service. And I just pray that you would reign that we would keep your eyes, our eyes on you, and that you would have your way for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as I said, we're continuing in our series, Family Talk, and we're looking at marriage. Uh, family is extremely important in the Bible, in both a physical sense as well as a theological sense. In fact, the, the family is the essential building block of humanity. And we discover that through the Bible, from, from Genesis all the way through the letters of the apostles, that when we speak of family, we're speaking of it biologically and spiritually. Uh, biologically, my family would be my wife, my children, relatives. But I also have this spiritual family that I'm a part of that consists of everyone who has ever been a part of God's family, is a part of God's family, and ever will be. Now, more specifically, I'm a part of my local church family here at Crosswinds. And so this is biological family that I'm a part of as well as a spiritual family. And it's been God's original plan since the very beginning to use families in order to multiply sort of his fruit in the world. And he's, he's chosen to use the marriage relationship within the biological family to be a part of seeing that be fruitful and multiply. God has a plan to use marriage to assist couples to find oneness with him 
as well as oneness with each other and others. In fact, God's original design for marriage leads to a wholeness found only in the Lord. Now, I want to clarify something there because that could be really taken out of context. I am not saying that one needs to be married in order to find a wholeness in the Lord. What I'm saying is a part of God's design for marriage is that a husband and wife would help each other in that journey of growing in Christ and finding that wholeness in the Lord. That's why the spiritual family is so important because there's a oneness that he calls us to have with one another. We're going to look at that later in the series in order to help us enjoy the Lord's presence in a way that that can happen in sort of in our own selves. We, We do that within community. And so in marriage, there's a part of God's original design in marriage where the husband and wife are called and empowered to help each other in that journey of wholeness in Christ. Now, many of us who are married have experienced these stay-at-home orders with our spouses. Uh, In fact, uh, my guess is that would be true for most of us, not all of us, but most of us, uh, we have done that. I I don't know if that's been a good or a bad thing for you. Uh, Only you can know that, you know? My guess is it's been good at times and it's had its challenges. In In my household, the Cooper household, We have a cat, a dog, and eight human beings. And the eight human beings go from a a one-and-a-half-year-old, who is perfect, by the way, that's my granddaughter, all the way up to the oldest. And I won't give the name or the age because it's my wife, and I don't want to get in trouble on a message on marriage. But my guess is during the last two months, and let's just be honest, throughout life, we understand that relationships have those good times and they have the difficult times. And that's because relationships take work. In fact, if you're married, you know this. If you're preparing to be married, you need to know this. Marriage takes work. It doesn't happen automatically. And and in fact, love in its original divine origin is a verb. It's exemplified by selfless action. And we're going to look at God's design for marriage and in this original design and how that's really how God lays it out leads us down the right path to have flourishing marriages. We're going to be exploring the very first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 2. And what we discover in scripture is that in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we have the creation story. And God makes Adam and places him in the garden So he's made all these things, all of creation. He's made Adam, and he places them in the garden. And and look at Genesis 2, 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper, one who balances him, a counterpart who is fit for him. And and so God's made all of creation. He's, He's made Adam. He's placed him in the garden. And as he looks around, it's not as if God were surprised. He's writing this so we understand his heart, not so that we think that God all of a sudden went, aha, I'm not done yet. He wants us to understand why he creates woman. And when he looks, he realizes that man doesn't have this balance, this this counterpart, this, this partner. And it shows from the very beginning that when God looked at the marriage relationship, it's a partnership of equals. That, that they're both God's created and that he has a purpose in this that, that, that has to do with both of them working together. And so as we jump down to verses 21 through 24, we discover this. 
So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And so when we look at God's original design for marriage, we discover it's a committed partnership, a committed partnership between a man and a woman. Reading the Genesis creation account, we come to realize that when God made man, his creative work was not yet finished. And and it's notable how God makes woman, how he makes Eve. When God could have made Eve from the dust of the ground, just as he had Adam, he does something differently. God chooses to make her from man's flesh and bone. In doing so, what's God doing? He's illustrating for us in marriage how a man and a woman become symbolically one flesh. A man and a woman becoming one through marriage is a mystical union. It's something ordained by God. It's something that happens in a couple's hearts and in a couple's lives. And throughout the Bible, God really treats this partnership extremely seriously. In fact, I have a question for you. I have a question if you're married. I have a question for you if you're maybe wanting to get married. Maybe you're a couple who, who are, are even engaged. And here's the question, because God takes this partnership so seriously, I wonder if, if, if you would be willing to keep the commitment that makes the two one. Since God takes the marriage uh, relationship seriously, this partnership, are, are you willing to do all that it takes in commitment to the Lord and each other to keep that, that, that beautiful commitment where the two become one. See, this, this may be something new for some of you, but the goal of a marriage relationship is beyond friendship. It truly is oneness. And we see this in God's original design for marriage. It's, it's three-faceted. Did you, did you catch it? It says the man and woman leave their parents in a public act and they promise themselves to each other. The man and woman are joined together by taking responsibility for for one another's welfare. They say, I'm going to put you above all others except for God. God's number one. There's no close second. But uh, of all the people in the world, I've chosen you, and I'm going to look out for your welfare. And then thirdly, the two become one flesh in the intimacy and commitment of sexual union that's reserved for marriage. And, And here's the simple truth. Healthy marriages include all three of those facets, the the leaving, the joining, and the oneness. Now look at verse 25. And the man and wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now dare I say, this is probably one of the least preached on verses in all of Scripture. And yet it holds within it, one of the most profound truths of what God originally set out for us and how sin marred it. Let me read it again. And the man and his wife, verse 25, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. See, God's original design for marriage intends for there to be a relationship of a growing and open 
oneness. As I've said, this verse is often overlooked, but it's crucial to understanding God's original design for marriage. Adam and Eve were naked and were not ashamed. Adam and Eve were not embarrassed in their innocence. However, when sin entered the world, by the way, that's Genesis chapter 3. So let's look at Genesis again. Genesis chapter 1 and 2, the creation story. We have in Genesis chapter 2 the, the explanation and the description of the creation of Eve and in this marriage relationship. And in the very next chapter, chapter 3, sin enters the world. And by the way, we're going to look at this in a couple of weeks. But so does the first marriage conflict. And shortly thereafter, so does the first sibling rivalry. It doesn't take long. The first family was a dysfunctional family because of sin. And when sin enters the world, what happens to Adam and Eve? They find shame. They recognize the fact that they're naked, and they try to cover it up with fig leaves. And not only do they try to cover up their nakedness, they hide from God. In Genesis 3, we discover Adam and Eve putting barriers up between each other and putting a barrier up between themselves and God. You say, well, what's the point? All of us in marriage experience similar barriers. All of us in marriage experience similar barriers. Ideally, a husband and wife should have no barriers, feeling no embarrassment, exposing their, their physical self and exposing their emotional self and exposing their, their spiritual self. There should be this sort of natural oneness between each other and between themselves and God and even between themselves and those around them. And yet when sin entered the world, all of a sudden there's these barriers, fig leaves, so to speak. Barriers that we put up because there's things we feel shameful of. Things we don't want our spouse to know. Things we don't want God to know, although he knows all things, right? Things we don't want those around us to know. What do we do? We hide. I mean, we may not physically hide. I'm guessing we don't physically go out and get fig leaves and try to make clothes out of them. But you know what I'm talking about. We hide. We hide things from ourselves. We hide things from our spouse. We hide things from God, although he knows them. We think we're better than we are at hiding things. You can't really hide them from him. And we certainly try to hide them from others. And in marriage, a lack of physical, emotional, and spiritual intimacy leads to the breakdown in a growing and open oneness that God has created us to experience with him and each other. In essence, what we're looking at here is God's call and his giving us the ability to move beyond what I will call the me man, you woman syndrome. And what we discover is that God has called us to be in partnership to experience a oneness with another human being. That's a beautiful thing, that God has called us and wants to empower us to experience this, this deep partnership of oneness with another human being. Now, if I were to say I'm the king of my home, don't laugh, by the way, but if I were to say I'm the king of my home, then I also must acknowledge that Krista is the queen of our home. And as much as I don't believe it's healthy for me to minimize my role in worth in the relationship, God has a place of value for me in that relationship, it certainly would be unhealthy for me to deny the fact that Krista also has a pronounced 
role and worth. We're partners. And when our partnership breaks down, it really, really boils down to one thing. Sin. Pride. Taking our eyes off of Jesus. I can honestly say that when Krista and I, that's my wife, when Krista and I have kept our eyes on Jesus, things flow better. They flow the way God wants them to. But when we take our eyes off him and put them on other things, especially just me, like if I put my eyes on me instead of God, pride enters in and barriers begin to develop. See, here's the reality. Do you know who the real king of my home is? Whether, whether you want to acknowledge or not, it's true for you. The real king of my home is Jesus. He's the king of my home. And Krista and I, I guess, are just two servants who are partnered together. We're just two of the Lord's kids doing our heavenly father's business. You get the point. See, people desire to be in a relationship where they experience security and significance. And yet the reality is, as we look at scripture, the only relationship that truly offers us security and significance is the relationship we have with God. He's the only one that really offers that to us. And so there's a oneness that we need to have with him developing if we really ever hope to have a oneness with a spouse or any other human being on planet earth. I love Jesus's prayer for us. Nearly 2,000 years ago, literally he's praying for the disciples who are in a room with him, but also for us and anyone else who will become a follower of his throughout time. John 17, 21, Christ prayed that we all would be one. Just as you, he prays, Father, are in me, and I am in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. That, that oneness with one another begins with oneness with God. And this goal of oneness can be frightening. I mean, it really can. When we realize that, that God does not intend that my wife and I find per, our personal needs met in our marriage. It, it amazes me. Uh, over the years, when, when I'll have a couple come in who are planning to be married, so it's pre-marriage counseling, they're preparing for their marriage, and I'll say, you know, why do you want to get married? And they look at me like I'm crazy, right? Because we love each other. And I said, well, what are you bring into this? What are you hoping from this? We fulfill each other. Maybe you've heard that. We fulfill each other. And I go, no, you don't. You really don't. You're like, you're going to partner, and you're going to become one. But until you find fullness in Christ, you really don't have much to offer each other. And even when you find fullness in Christ, really your greatest gift to each other is encouraging one another to seek what you need from God. You say, Craig, what are you talking about? Well, there's really at least four ways, four courses, if you will, that we try to find our needs met in marriage. Let me look at those four real quick. The first is we ignore our needs. And you'll see this sometimes in marriages where, where they just start to ignore them. I don't need anything. I don't need anything from you. And over time, there creates a barrier, as you can imagine. It, it doesn't lead to a good place relationally. It, it, it's certainly not a flourishing marriage when we say, I have, when you just deny you have needs. Now, the second is just as destructive. It's finding satisfaction in achievement. Many times this comes about when, when someone thought, well, I thought marriage was going to complete me. 
I thought this person I married was going to take care of me. I'm not finding it here. I'm not finding, I'm not finding that security and significance within this marriage relationship. And so I'm going to look for it in a hobby, or I'm going to look for it in work, or I'm going to look for it in someone else. Well, you can see the barrier there, dissolving of that relationship which God had called them to. The third is this, to attempt to meet our needs in each other, like a mutual commitment. You know, it'd be like my wife Krista say, I'm going to find my needs met in Craig, and me say, I'm going to find my needs met in Krista. And many people have that picture of marriage. I find it very insightful what Dr. Larry Crabb notes in his book, The Marriage Builder. Listen to what he writes. He says, a marriage bound together by commitment to exploit the other, fulfilling our, one's own needs. And then he says, this, he says, I fear that the most marriages are built on such a basis can legitimately be described as a tick on a dog. Tick on a dog. He writes about this relationship, just as a hungry tick clamps on to a nourishing host in anticipation of a meal, so each partner unites with the other in the expectation of finding what his or her personal nature demands. The rather frustrating dilemma, don't miss this, the rather, rather frustrating dilemma, of course, is that in such a marriage there are only two ticks and no dog. What's he talking about here? He's saying if we come into marriage trying to find security and significance in each other and all of our other needs met by each other, really we, we're, we're really acting simply like a tick on a dog. That tick doesn't offer the dog anything. It's only the dog giving what the tick needs. He says, but there's a greater problem. We're both ticks. There's no dog. And, and so there's not enough for us to give to each other. There's frustration. In fact, this is where I've sat across from many a couple who says, we're just not in love anymore. And part of the problem was that word love was misunderstood from the beginning. But again, love is a verb in God's divine origin of it. It takes work. As we focus on God and experience his love, he gives us a love for each other. And that love is expressed in serving, not in getting. That's really difficult. And so that's why the fourth course that we can take in finding our needs as, as a married couple it is the one that God lays out for us. And that's that we depend on the Lord to meet our needs. And, and as I, as a husband, have the Lord meet my needs, I find my security in him, I find my significance in him, then I have a God-given confidence that allows me to serve my wife and love her. And Krista, as my wife, when she finds her security in God and her significance in God, he then can release her and empower her to do the same for me. It, it becomes this oneness of, of seeking God together, of seeking God's best for our marriage together, of seeking God's best for our family together. We become one. Here, here's a simple truth. We ought not to expect our spouse to be or do what God can only be or do. I, I think that's the downfall of many a relationship. That we expect in somebody else, we expect them to be and do what only God can be and do. And, and it's so devastating. I've often used a simple diagram in marriage counseling uh, with husbands and wives and even pre-marriage counseling to help sort of illustrate this, this path to oneness with God that allows us to have a oneness with each other. It's a pyramid. 
And, and, and on, the, on the pyramid, on the very top is God. And on the bottom, on each side of the pyramid, I write the name of the couple I'm sitting across from. For, I'll put it in my case. It would be me here and my wife Krista here. And many times we, I point out, I say, look, look at the gulf between you and your spouse or your future spouse. Uh, you know, there are times where we just feel that barrier. And how do we try to fix it? We try to cross the barrier, but we just can't do it. But notice, if God's on the top and there's this pyramid, that as we work closer to the Lord, as we seek oneness with him, if we do that together, but the closer we get to God, the closer we get to one another. And that's God's intent for marriage, that we seek God together, that the that my greatest goal for, for our marriage, my part in our marriage as a husband, is to be able to help Krista grow and flourish in Christ. And for her, for her greatest goal to be that for me. And as we both flourish in him, we both flourish together. Now understand this, uh, 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 God's origin then for marriage is only possible when a husband and wife have a growing relationship with God. That's the only way it's possible to have the marriage that we dream of, this flourishing marriage, is to have a growing relationship with God. Because as we have that growing relationship with him, as that oneness grows, that wholeness in Christ becomes more and more a part of who we are. What does he do? He helps us understand how much he loves us. We're able to bask in how he floods us with his love. And then with his love, we're able to love each other. See, I, I've heard it said that life is like a car. Maybe you've heard it. You need to give the steering wheel over to God. But I don't know about you. If you're out there married, I think you'll understand this. And, and, and I'm sure any of you in any relationship, even a friendship would understand this, that if you're in the car with somebody else, it's really not like a normal car. It's a car with two steering wheels. Like there's times when I want to take control and there's times where Chris wants to take control. And we're not like just fighting over the wheel. We want our own wheel, you know? And so the illustration really breaks down a little bit. And so I think really life is more like a raft. You're on this raft and you're, you're going down this current, you know? And, and you have a choice. You can either go with the current or you can try to, you have no, no paddles, but you can try with your hands to paddle against the current. God is the current. He's the one wanting to lead us through life. And we either have a choice to go with the current. And by the way, when I've been whitewater rafting, I've learned when you're in a certain current, it's better to go with it than to fight it. So when you're in the current of where God is leading, you have a choice. You can either continue to let him lead you and find rest and power and peace, or you can go against it and find exhaustion. I want to ride the current with God. And so when we look at Scripture, we realize what God's original design for marriage was that there'd be a oneness between this couple that flows from a oneness with him, but allows them to have oneness with others. We, we discover that it's not that we find wholeness in Christ in our marriage, but part of God's original design for marriage was that we would be able to, to, be able to encourage each other and help each other and journey together in that journey of wholeness we find in Christ. That God's original design for marriage is about a committed partnership between a man and a woman, a relationship of growing and open oneness, and it's built upon our relationship with God himself. See, I'm coming up on 28 years of marriage, and, and I can be honest with you, when, when, when Krista and I got married, 
almost 28 years ago now, um, I so totally loved her. I mean, I still love her, but I, I mean, I just, I just so totally loved her. And I thought I knew everything I needed to know about her. And I was so, so wrong. Like, for instance, I didn't know that when Krista goes to bed at night, she likes the temperature to be in the 90s. Like, she wants there to be humidity coming down from the ceiling. It's so hot in there. That might be a slight exaggeration, but only slight. I like there to be a little bit of frost on the covers. I, mean, I want it cold. And so I've discovered that, that there's times where I'm like, man, she changed the temperature. And she'll come and say, did you change the temperature? Because that's not a big deal. It's not a big deal until it is a big deal. I also noticed that she likes to put the tulip paper on the roll, on the roll uh, uh, put it going under. When all of us know the right way to do it is to go over. Like that's the, you follow me? And there's other things we didn't know about each other. As a matter of fact, I've had couples say to me, and I was there, like we got married, I, like, I want things to stay just the way they are. Guess what? They're not going to stay just the way they are. Things change. You go through difficulties. There are times where we're both looking at Jesus, and there's times where, where one of us takes our eyes off him, and there's difficulties. There's times where both of us do. We, do you know what impressed me the most about Krista and still does? And what I know, and I knew then and I know now, she knows Jesus. When we got married, I too was able to come into that marriage saying, I know Jesus. And so even through the difficulties, it's, it's knowing him that makes the difference when and only if and when. We acknowledge that he is Lord of our relationship. And that just as in Genesis chapter 2, we find that God breathes life into man, breathes life into humanity, that when Jesus came, and died on the cross for our sins and was resurrected for our salvation. What, did, what does he do when we come to know him, when we enter into that relationship with him? He breathes life into us through his spirit. There's hope for our marriage. That when we, when we seek that security and significance elsewhere, no, 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 that we, we become hopeless. But when we find the one, Jesus, where we have our security and significance, it's a game changer. It changes our life. It changes our marriage. It changes us. It changes relationships. It changes culture. I'm so thankful that before I said I do to Krista, I said I will to Jesus. And I don't know where you are listening to this. I, I, not physically, but, but spiritually. But I just want to encourage you that that oneness that I've been talking about in reference to marriage, it's, it's a oneness he wants all of us to experience with him, married or not. In fact, we're going to look at singleness next week. He offers that to you, that security, that significance, that love, that salvation. That's the first step. And as we experience oneness with him, I want to, I want to give you hope in your marriages. You may say, Craig, my pyramid, our marriage pyramid is huge. Like we're so far apart. But here's the good news. No, how, no matter how far apart you are, I want to make a promise to you, and I can do it because the word of God backs it. God's word backs it. If you both will commit to seeking God, you will grow closer together. God has a plan to prosper you in your marriage so that you can not only be blessed, but bless others. 
So I don't know where you find yourself as you're listening to this, but I hope you find yourself comfortably in the hands of God. Now, I don't mean comfortably in the fact that he challenges us, but comfortably knowing he loves us, he has a plan for us, he wants us to walk with him. And if not, that you would say yes to him as Lord and Savior. And I don't know where you are in your marriage relationship, but wherever you are, would you just say, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, help us grow in oneness with you so we can grow in oneness together. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for just the the power of your word. Not just the truth that we find in it, but, but really through your word, we discover you. We grow in our knowledge of you. We grow in our ability to walk with you. And and your spirit does something when we explore your word together. And I pray that something would be quite radical at this moment. That someone who's yet to receive you as Lord and Savior would say yes to you and and take that step of of walking with you and, and discovering that oneness and wholeness that can only be found in you. I pray for all of us that that would be our, our, our desire, that we'd receive that from you with love and the power that comes from that relationship. And Lord, in our marriages, I, I just want to pray hope over our marriages. I pray, Lord God, that we would we would go back to the original design, that we wouldn't listen to the world, that we wouldn't listen to, to naysayers in our life who would speak against what you want to do, but Lord God, that we would claim our homes for you, that we would claim our spouse, that we would, no matter if your husband or wife, you would say, Lord, help me lead the way in encouraging us to seek you. And as we seek oneness in you, that we'd have a oneness with each other, that we'd be a part of the original design of knowing you, knowing each other, and making you known to those around us. God, thank you for loving us so completely. Thank you for the invitation of doing life with you, knowing that that's the only way life really works. Thank you for loving us so extravagantly. In Jesus' name, amen.